This podcast is proudly produced and presented by the Zoomer Podcast Network, home of great podcasts like Marilyn Lightstone Reads, Idea City on the Air, and The Garden Show. You're listening to an exclusive podcast of Fight Back on Zoomer Radio. Heard weekdays from noon to one. You're listening to an exclusive podcast of Fight Back on Zoomer Radio. Heard weekdays from noon to one. Fight Back with Libby Snymer on Zoomer Radio. Welcome back. Is it in the public interest to know which doctors are billing OHIP for the most money? The province's Privacy Commission said yes, and in response to the Toronto Star, it made a landmark ruling allowing the release of the names of the top 100 billers. Some people see this as a kind of equivalent of the sunshine list where we see uh, all public servants earning over 100 k Well, now the Ontario Medical Association, along with two doctors' groups, are heading to court to try to overturn the decision. They're arguing that OHIP payments are personal information and should not be made public. Uh, just for some context, the top 100 OHIP billers in 2012-13, took in a combined $191 million. Highest biller alone claimed more than $6 million, while the second and third highest each claimed more than $4 million. What's your take on this? Do you want to know? Do you think you need to know? Uh, what good would come of us knowing this? Uh, the numbers, 416-360-0740, toll-free 1-866-740-4740. Right now, let's go to Dr. Nadia Alam, the OMA, Ontario Medical Association, President-elect. Hi, Nadia. Hello, Libby. Thank you so much for having me on the show again. Oh, you're most welcome. Now, what is your perspective on this? Why is this not in the public interest? I am personally frustrated by seeing this kind of story because this is the kind of story that's sensational. It makes people gasp. It makes people pay attention. It makes people buy newspapers, but it doesn't really fix the problems of the healthcare system. So Mm -hmm. I truly do not think it's in the public interest. And and why not? The shame and blame tactic. Um, so here it is. The, the newspaper wants to publish, like the Toronto Star wants to publish the top 100 billers. Right. That isn't representative of doctors as a whole in any way. It's the tip of the iceberg when you talk about what's involved in healthcare and what's involved in serving patients. So here it is. It's not a random 100. It's not the middle 100. It's not the bottom 100. It's the top 100. It's sensationalized, Right. Doctors are not public employees. We're paid out of the public purse, just like any other private contractor. So if we want to be totally transparent, we have to know, we should know what all other private contractors get paid, right? Well, I I would argue that I um, want to know what uh, private contractors make for certain kinds of, of public, uh, you know, public works. Because, I mean, if you look at uh, certain kinds of construction things, you got to wonder. Um, that's, I mean, that's totally another issue. But, you know, if, um, if you're saying that this isn't representative of doctors, and it obviously, obviously isn't, then what's the harm in showing people who bills the system the most money? And it, it's not necessarily uh, fraudulent or anything like that. 
It's totally not fraudulent. These were the doctors that were investigated by the Ontario government, the Ministry of Health um, OHIP department, OHIP Billings department. That was back in 2012. There was no cheating found, right? But the way the story is spinning out, it makes people dislike their doctors. It makes them distrust their doctors. When the story first came out last year, when this story first came out in 2012, a lot of physicians, including ophthalmologists, radiologists, family doctors, they got mail. They got comments from patients saying, oh, my God, what are you doing to our system? People automatically assumed there was cheating involved. It's, it's ridiculous that that's happening, right? One ophthalmologist said that someone brought a Toronto Star story, circled it, left it on his, in his waiting room with, with the lines scrawled across it, you should be ashamed of yourself. So this truly is creating division between doctors and patients. It, and I don't know how that helps patients at all. Um, but again, you know, if, if you're billing the public system, Mm-hmm. Uh, what's the harm in knowing? I mean, if if anything, uh, it might give us a sense. Uh, you know, one of one of the complaints that people have uh, about OHIP, and that includes some doctors, is what things are charged for, right? Um, the fees for certain procedures versus other procedures. Uh, so, what's what's the harm in knowing? So there is no harm in knowing that. You're talking about a backstory, right? You're talking about context. You're saying, all right, so you're giving me the total number of what this doctor earned. What's the backstory? How much did they, how many services did they perform? How many hours did they work? That is what tells you whether or not that money was well spent. That's not what Toronto Star is trying to do. They're only t- throwing out a number out there. That's just the tip of the iceberg, right? And what these doctors do. And I actually spoke to some of these doctors. Mm-hmm. about what they do. So to understand how they're earning what they're earning, what's the backstory? So here's some of it, right? There was a surgeon who spoke to me, a neurosurgeon, who works in a large city. He works six days a week. He's 120 to 130 patients a day, 600 a week. He starts at 7 in the morning. 120 patients a day? Exactly. Uh, I'm sorry, so he, that's too much. <laughs> so he starts at 7 a.m., comes home at 8 p.m. This ophthalmologist took out a $6 million loan to set up a retinal surgery clinic because the local hospitals in the three cities he serves can't afford it. Okay, so uh, you know... I th- his name drags through him. That's the backstory that people really care about, right? And that's not being discussed in this at all. Okay, Nadia, um, we have people who have comments and questions, so please hang on. Okay. Uh, we've got Bob in Etobicoke. Hi, Bob. Hi, how are you? Fine, how are you? Not bad. Um, I think that when they're publishing how much a doctor bills OHIP, they also on it, it should be part of the release of information. What, how many employees he has, whether he has an office, how many patients he's seen in the period of time for that money. Work it out to how much per patient. And you'll find that some of the ones are much, much higher in dollar value. Their cost per patient is way, way down. Like I worked in, a, I was an electrician, and I wired a lot of doctors and dentist offices and um, the uh, Jane Bluer Medical Center. I did all of them. And there was a gynecologist there. 
and he had a very busy practice. It was nothing for him to have 150 patients walk in in a day. Now, he was the only one that built. Some of those patients just come in and got a blood test and checked out, see how they were doing, and his staff would do it. So that means that he wasn't getting all of that money. His staff would get it. And, you know, you go to a doctor's office, the nurse might give you the needle. But the nurse doesn't send the bill, and she's not recognized on on the, the release of the doctor. So it should be Dr. So-and-so billed $400,000 in a year, and he's seen... You know, well, yeah, that's patients. that was one of the arguments uh, yeah. for, I, I believe, the ophthalmologist who was the top billing one said that he was the only person who billed in his practice. Um, right. My question, and maybe, Nadja, you can answer this, that, uh, you know, assuming that he's not farming out the, the work to someone who's not a doctor, you have other doctors in a practice, why would only one doctor be the one who bills? So that's a separate shoot. There, there's some physicians who work in group practices. They build together under one number, and they try and share overhead costs. Ophthalmology and radiology have extraordinarily high overhead costs in community clinics, and they help take the burden off of local hospitals that aren't funded to provide enough of those services. Back in 2005, um, the Ministry of Health wanted to really tackle wait lists, and so they they demanded that specialists do more work to reduce wait times as part of a provincial strategy. This high biller story, it's a manufactured crisis. It comes out of that. They were told to work more, they worked more, and now they're kind of being shamed for it. Well, right? that, and that's, that's unfortunate. That's, that's an interesting uh, perspective. Uh, I do have to take the next calls. I yeah. just want to point out that last week, I'm sure you saw a report uh, by Patients Advocacy Group on extra billing. And what they're saying is that a lot of these uh, community clinics, private clim- clinics, are billing for things they should not be billing patients for, extra billing. So that's not coming out. So that's a different story, right? This is money that's paid to physicians for a specific service out of OHIP. This is purely from the public system, right? Well, well, it's purely, but I'm just saying as an adjunct to that, and they're saying that there are lots of cases where both OHIP and private people are billed. I know that's that's not exactly what we're we're talking about today. I'm just pointing out that there there's a lot kind of uh, a lot bubbling on this issue. There is. It's totally it's that iceberg idea, right? What we see in the media is maybe 10% of what's really going on. The 90%, the backstory that your caller referred to, never gets talked about. It just gets glossed over. And that's really what we need to get into if we want full transparency and if we actually want solutions to help fix the problems patients face living in this healthcare system. Okay, let's go to uh, Jerry in Port Perry. Hi, Jerry. Hi. Um, what I, when I read this story, I mean, the idea of privacy kind of bothers me. So just one part of it. Why would the star want to get individual names of physicians? I don't understand. I mean, if they, they want to go after the, like, give us the information, why do we have to attach a name? I find that actually disgusting. Oh, well, I'm not. I'm certainly not speaking for the Toronto Star, but uh, I would imagine they would say that it's a matter of transparency, that it's public money, and we should know yeah, but, but who, what, when, where. Person, Pardon? I don't understand why. Why an individual person? Like, what? What do we learn about saying 
one doctor builds a lot. I mean, you want to, like, transparency for transparency's sake. What what would you gain from from um, putting out the name of the doctor? I heard of, of like a year ago, something one of these million dollar doctors somehow got named. I mean, somebody found out, and he got death threats. Well, that's what Nadia was was threats, was just saying. Pardon. I said that's that's what Nadia was just saying. Um, so uh, I'm just saying what I am assuming the Toronto Star would say, and, and never in the world would I want to be speaking for the Toronto Star. So, <laughs> Jerry, thank you very much for your call. We're going to go to Al in Brantford. Hi, Al. Al? Hello, Nadia? No, it's Libby and Nadia on the other line. Yeah, yeah I know. Yeah, I know who it is. I, I just want a simple question and answer from her. Why did the doctors fight from being audited? That would clear it all up, wouldn't it? They did. Everybody else's problems audited. can be audited at any time. It's not too stressful for everybody else. Why is it too stressful for your doctors? So, Al, they didn't fight from being audited. All they're fighting is their names being published. That's no, it. I'm... That's all they're fighting. Well, I mean, they yeah. already were audited back in 2012. Every single one of these. 100 so-called high billers. Every single one of them got audited back in 2012, and none of them were found to be cheating. That's the crazy part. It's that why no weren't wrong the, why wasn't the figures put out too then? Well, an audit is not public information. Well, um, if it's unless it's a public company, or, uh, uh, it could be me. It is when they do it. It's public information as soon as they start on it. Mm. I don't. I know. I've been audited. You've been audited, and the, all, all those numbers are posted in public. They are, if you want to go after it. The interesting thing is, the Toronto Star did not go after that part of the story, did they? They could have put in a freedom of information request, right, saying, "Tell us the results of these audits." That's not what they did, though. They wanted names and amounts that these physicians had earned. Right. So let's and look at you, this another you agree way. That that doctor should be could, could be capable of seeing seven hundred patients a day. Which one? The one you were just speaking of a few minutes ago. There. So he wasn't seeing seven hundred patients a day. He was seeing one hundred twenty to one hundred thirty a day. Well, yeah. To me, to me, that sounds. If that's if that's actually one doctor, there, I have a problem with that. If it's a group billing together, um, that's one thing. But uh, you know. Um, I wouldn't want to walk into my doctor's office and know that they saw a hundred other people that day. They'd kind of be a bit fried. Uh, you know, I've seen very busy waiting rooms and, you know, that's kind of, uh, I've seen them at the limit of what's humanly possible and a hundred patients a day, uh-uh, but, but I'm assuming that would be for a group of doctors, not for one. And you're absolutely right. I worked as a fee-for-service family doctor in one clinic and I was going through 50 patients a day. And like Lizzie, it's it's soul-sucking work. You don't get any joy out of it because you're just churning people through as fast as you possibly can because you have to earn a certain amount to just be able to afford overhead, afford staff, afford equipment costs, and then hopefully take something home so that you still pay a mortgage, right? So he, like, here's another one of those stories about the Heiblers, an obstetrician this time. This one serves a city of 70,000. He works seven days a week. He's done so for 35 years. He left his daughter's high school graduation to deliver a newborn baby. He's 70 years old right now, and he's on that list. He's yep. being targeted as well. So it's, 
again, this is the backstory that matters to patients, right? This is how patients can look at this and say, all right, is this person actually serving the public interest? Is this person worth the money we're paying him, right? It comes down to the question, what is a human life worth, right? A hundred thousand, a million, priceless, I don't know. Okay, Nadia, we have to take a quick break. Al, uh, thanks for your call. We're going to take a quick break, and when we come back, we're going to take more of your calls, and we're here with Dr. Nadia Olam, the president-elect of the Ontario Medical Association. We're talking about uh, a court challenge today. Uh, The privacy commissioner said it is okay to release the names of the top earning doctors and uh, the OMA and some other doctors group want to overturn that. We are also taking your calls and questions and we will be right back to do that after this. You're listening to an exclusive podcast of Fight Back on Zoomer Radio. Heard weekdays from noon to one. Fight Back with Libby Schneimer on Zoomer Radio. Welcome back. I am on the line with Dr. Nadia Alam. We're talking about a court case that's going on today. The Ontario Medical Association does not want uh, doctors who are top billers to have to uh, make public their their name. Uh, the Ontario Privacy Commissioner has said that that is in the public interest, allowed the names of the top 100, and uh, the medical profession is fighting that. Uh, now, a lot of people here have a lot to say about that. Let's go to Margaret in Kitchener. Hi, Margaret. Hi. Uh, no, uh, there's enough greed going on. As soon as people find out what doctors are make, they're going to get mad and hollering, and they don't, they don't know what the doctors are doing to earn that money. So, no, no, that should be amongst the doctors and, uh, what do you call it, the physicians and surgeons or whatever. Mm-hmm. So, uh, the main thing is, there's so many greedy people. Once they find out if a doctor makes so much, oh, how come he makes so much? He shouldn't make... This is how people behave today. So just keep it quiet. Thank you. Okay. Thanks, Margaret, for that. Yep, Margaret's kind of right, right? So if we look at it another way, what if we tell these doctors, you're working too much, you cost the system too much? What could happen, right? Well, aren't so, there certain things that actually are capped, certain, certain procedures and certain... The, I, I believe there are certain caps on things. In hospitals. In hospitals, these okay. These are clinics that are paid for by the physicians themselves. These are private... These are surgeries that the, the, the doctors pay for out of the money that they earn. So that ophthalmologist who took out that $6 million loan, right? The obstetrician who pays for his office the family doctor who, who runs his own business as well and pays for all the staff salary, that all comes out of a physician's billing. So okay. say we turn around to them and say, stop working that much. You need to cut back. What will happen? We're going to see wait lists go up, right? Because every single dollar that's paid to a doctor represents a patient service. So which service do we cut? Do we cut you know, the injection into a, a dad's eyes for macular degeneration to prevent blindness? Or do we stop a radiologist from reading the MRI for breast cancer in the 30-year-old mommetry? Or do we tell the, sur- the orthopedic surgeon, don't fix that broken hip in the 90-year-old woman waiting in pain and disability? Or the child with congenital heart disease? Or the patient with a brain tumor? No, don't go see that neurosurgeon. He earns too much. Okay, Where uh, do we stop? Okay, but here's, here's one of the things, and I know this was a separate report on sort of a separate issue, but uh, one of the things that was 
cited in the report uh, by that patient advocacy group on extra billing had exactly to do uh, with ophthalmologists, and it was that that when people went in to get their OHIP-covered laser surgery for cataracts, they were upsold. They were pressured to get Oh, you know the what the the lens offered by the public system isn't good enough. Really, you should be paying. And people are kind of intimidated, and they don't know. So, um, I don't know. I I I see kind of problems all around there. So my mom had cataract surgery done, and she she got the publicly funded lens, and and she finds that she has trouble with it. Her ophthalmologist was right. It isn't as good as the one that should be covered by the government. That's the thing. That's sort of what we come down to, right? The government's willing to cover certain things. That doesn't mean that those are the best things. The government's often behind in what it should be covering. It's only now that the government is finally covering the shingles vaccine. It was just announced this past winter. The shingles vaccine's been around for decades the government should have been covering it all along, and it and only it covers it. It only covers it for for uh, people in a certain age group. The phone lines are stacked up, and we're starting to run out of time. <laughs> so uh, I'm going to the phones. We've got Christina in Toronto. Hi, Christina. Hi there. Very interesting discussion. Thank you. you um, I just wanted a comment from the doctor you have there about what other jurisdictions are doing because in the star they mention. British Columbia, Manitoba, and the United States already release this kind of data every year. That's that's my question. What what are these other jurisdictions doing, and and has Ontario looked at that? A good question, Christina. Dr. Halam? That's a great question, Christina. And you're right. BC, Manitoba, and some and, parts and of the, the United US. States. Well, they're yeah, a little some different. Some parts of the United but States. But provinces are already public. providing this information. So, okay, let her answer. So they it's do the publish all yep. physician data, right? So this is not what the Toronto Star is going after, right? All of those provinces and the U.S., they publish what every single physician earns. So the ones at the top of the pay scale, the ones at the very bottom, and everybody else who hangs around the middle of the pack. This is not what the Toronto Star is going after. They're only going after the top okay. 100. Okay, so just a minute, uh, Nadia, would you be in favor of publishing all that material? Only if it's contextualized. Because remember, at the end of the day, physicians are private contractors to the government. So if the government is going to do a proper job of it, where they're going to talk about how much debt we carry, how much overhead we pay, how many years we've put in studying for this, what sort of services we provide, what are we paid per services, how many patients were served every year, so on and so forth, then yeah, I would like to see that. Because that kind of data will help the public decide whether this is money well spent. And that's the question we all want to answer, right? Is this money well spent? What is a human life worth? These are the numbers that we need, but these aren't the numbers that the government wants to publish. And it's certainly not the numbers that the government's publishing elsewhere. Okay, the other let's, thing I want let, to know is what do all the other private contractors in the healthcare system cost? How do we compare with them? And what kind of value do they provide? What kind of service did they provide? This is the information that the public needs for full transparency. Okay, let's go to uh, Maria in Etobicoke. Hi, Maria. Oh, hi. Good afternoon. Oh, there. Where do I start? 
one of the things that I'm really, I do not know, I got to the party a bit late, so I do not know whether somebody's covered it. But one of the two things I wanted to mention was that um, how is this different from publishing the Sunshine List? Well, it's it's very different. These aren't employees. Um, it's uh, it's these are contractors and they're doctors. So um, when you see somebody's salary, it's their salary, and this is a gross number, and they have to run their office and and all of that, and pay staff and and do all the things that Nadia has been talking about. Yeah, but but there is a certain. Right. I would agree. Just a minute. I would agree, Maria, that there is a certain equivalency. Uh, in publishing that information because it's all public money. Yeah, and uh, she meant, she just mentioned now towards the end that they need to publish the cost of the education, this and the other. Um, I would also like them to publish the total cost of their education, meaning the part of the education that is funded by the taxpayers also. That's that. That is true too. A lot of the education is funded uh, by. It's expensive still, but it's cheaper than it is in other places. Um, thanks, Maria, for your call. Okay, I'm going to try to get um, one more in. So we have got Tom in Burlington. Hi, Tom. Good afternoon. It's me again. Okay, go ahead. You're on the air. Um, Quickly. I've got three three things that if you can answer. Sure. Um, first off, if every if anyone's ever tried to get a new doctor, you'll notice that all these doctors' offices now are allocated to be walk-in clinics, and the reason why that's taking place now is because doctors at a walk-in clinic will get more than a family practitioner where you go to his office. Number one. Number two. When you people going in for an MRI, I had to go get an MRI on my hand for my thumb, and the doctor ordered one on my thumb and on my wrist. But the, the people over there said, we can't do them both together because they're two separate areas. It was on the same arm. These are the scams that are going on, and the health department and the health minister knows it, and he's not doing nothing. And the more we bicker about this, nothing gets done. He knows what's going on. He was on the TV earlier this year, and he said, we know who you are. We're coming for you. His exact words. Nothing's been done. Okay, Tom. Tom, I want to give Nadia a chance to respond. Thanks for your call. I, and especially on that MRI thing, I mean, that's that's not a scam, but that's some kind of ridiculous administrative way that, that these things are organized. I ran into that myself, and I did move heaven and earth to have two parts MRI'd at the same time. It was actually it was a CAT scan because I didn't want extra radiation. But uh, that's not a scam. That's part of the problem that we have with the system. Uh, Nadia, how would you respond? So to answer the first question about the family physicians, a lot of new graduates are working in walk-in clinics because they're not allowed to set up in team-based care. So the team-based family practice offices, um, the governments cap those. They won't allow doctors to set up on it in it anymore unless they're in particular areas. So that's partly why it's become so hard to find a full-service family physician's office these days, and you find more walk-in clinics instead. The MRI thing, I agree with you, Libby. 
it's, it's a weird administrative rule that I've seen in every single hospital, and I don't understand why it happens that way. I and, know that and part of it is they have to reset the MRI machine in between different parts, but a lot of it is the hospital rules. Now, your caller makes an excellent point. If there's cheating going on in the system, it's the government's job to take care of it. There's an entire department devoted to fraud at the Ministry of Health. The Ministry of Health has 3,000 employees. They have an entire department devoted to fraud. If there's cheating going on, they should investigate it. If there's no cheating going on, it's the government's job to reassure the public that, there is, that their money is well spent. Okay. And it frustrates me that you're not seeing that either. Okay, Nadia, uh, I have to close the conversation because we're out of time now. Clearly, uh, we have to follow up on this because people still have comments, and, and we've only touched the tip of the, air, uh, the uh, iceberg. So, Dr. Nadia Alam, thanks for joining us. You're listening to an exclusive podcast of Fight Back on Zoomer Radio. Heard weekdays from noon to one. You're listening to an exclusive podcast of Fight Back on Zoomer Radio. Heard weekdays from noon to one. You're listening to an exclusive podcast of Fight Back on Zoomer Radio. Heard weekdays from noon to one. You're listening to an exclusive podcast of Fight Back on Zoomer Radio. Heard weekdays from noon to one. This podcast is proudly produced and presented by the Zoomer Podcast Network, home of great podcasts like Marilyn Lightstone Reads. Idea City on the air and The Garden Show.